Hello, everybody. Welcome to the ICS podcast. My name is Martin Calvert. I'm the marketing director here at ICS Digital and ICS Translate. Today, I'm joined by Jonathan Asif from Linmore Tech, and we're going to be talking about e-commerce technology integration, uh, how e-commerce brands can scale and perform on the national and international stage. So, Jonathan, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. So, for the benefit of listeners, it'd be really good to get an understanding of uh, you know, what's the background of Linmore Tech. What do you guys do when it comes to uh, you know linking up e-commerce tech with uh, e-commerce brands? Okay, wonderful. So, basically, what we do is we, as you mentioned, we connect uh, e-commerce technology with online stores to help them both grow through innovation. This is our mission statement. The way we do it basically is. I have my wonderful partner, Nathalie. She's been doing it for a good few years. And we try to vet, to talk to one or two startups per week to learn about what's new, who's good, what they're doing, what are the, the trends. We speak with them. We handpick the one that we want to continue working with, basically. And then the second part of our week would usually be talking to e-commerce brands, uh, learning about the struggles or opportunities, the way we want to call it. And then we try to make the connection. If we know someone is looking for speed site optimization or things like that, we'll make the connection if it makes sense. This way, the startup will grow through getting new clients and the e-commerce brand will grow through having better capabilities. Um, go ahead. I mean, yeah, I mean, it seems like a really necessary uh, kind of interim or intermediary kind of advisory service because... Every week, every day, we see new startups being launched to promise the world. Um, disruptive, quote, technology that, you know, may or may not have such a big impact. And, you know, certainly, I see as we find some of our clients, they don't necessarily have time to vet and assess these things properly. And the implications for not doing that can be pretty big for the person um, if they onboard the wrong tech, but also for the company as well, if they make a misstep with their tech stack or... Even the opportunity cost picking option A when option B is is a is better. I mean, I think that's a fair thing. There's a pressure that you know is in many e-commerce brands. It's not just um, making huge steps forward, but not making little mistakes that can cause uh, disruption or um, interruption to revenue. Exactly. Uh, no, I think that across the years, Natalie and now me have made more than 1,000 connections between technology and, and startup because this is what we do. We know how to do it right now. Uh, there are companies that know how to make product, companies that know how to sell, companies that know how to do marketing. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's best that one stick to their profession in, in a way. And here it's a profession because as you mentioned, there are thousands of tens of thousands of startups and technology that are, get, are great, doing a great job. But if you have one problem in a long funnel which you need to solve, you need yeah. the best solution for it. Well, and this is like where di- we diagnosis of, diagnosis of issues and opportunities as well, not just um, you know picking what is uh, the, the most on the surface interesting. It's about that problem solving or opportunity seeking mindset as well. I think these are the the funnest the, the the introduction that we like the most. The problem that you never knew you had. That's why we call them opportunities. Yep. You never knew that nowadays you can have 4K HD videos on your site without making it slower. There's a new technology we work with. It's great that it does it. Who imagined? Everyone knows, no, I want to put videos on my, on my site, 
but no, it can load so so slowly. Now there's a solution for that. You never knew it, but this is where we come into play. Well, I mean, one thing that's uh, positive whenever wherever you can kind of surprise and delight somebody in e-commerce, that's a that's a good day because you know we've got a hard job these days in many niches with uh, tight margins, uh, increased product costs, all sorts of infrastructure costs. So. Um, having a pleasant surprise can uh, really make the day of somebody in e-commerce. For sure. I think our motto now is zero mistakes, not, not for us, for, for everyone. Uh, the, the long funnels, the cost and everything, mm-hmm. when you need to meet a person online and make a sale, every time you drop something, you make one small mistake, people are unforgiving. They have They don't have patience anymore. So... Uh, it costs money, and it costs a lot of money. That's why you need to be very accurate uh, I mean, throughout. The... I mean, how equipped do you feel like e-commerce brands are at mapping out that customer journey or multiple customer journeys? Are they able to see all those different touch points that could go right or could go wrong? Or just, you know, having that external set of eyes, how helpful is that? Very helpful. I think what happened is... First of all, we did the transition from offline in-store sales to, to online. Mm-hmm. Then when we went online, everyone, you know, a few a couple of years ago with the changes of third-party cookies, basically what it means is that we no longer uh, know all the information about the person that comes and visits our store. And we can no longer really ask them what happened in-store. Uh, and it was kind of okay for most people. They may, may do with it. Now, we spoke with a big brand, um, an international brand, sells online and offline. They have uh, hundreds of stores, uh, and we realized they have visibility of only 20% of their sales across the board. For them, it kind of makes sense in a way because a lot of the sales are in-store, but there are solutions for that. And the problem was when they made a Facebook campaign, which you know, they spent 70K on that, it was supposed to be good. Now, they thought, all right, we see 40k in revenue from that, and we assumed the rest came in store. Something we did not uh, see. Mm-hmm. When they implemented a technology that have full visibility and the full funnel, they saw they lost money, and they saw that a different campaign, which they thought was not that good, generated three hundred thousand dollars in revenue. Uh, you cannot optimize. You cannot make a decision this way with not without seeing the full funnel no exactly without seeing like the end game a lot of um subjectivity still in some of these big decisions that are made um sometimes you know if, if people aren't even aware that the data exists or the data can be crunched in a meaningful way to you know find out those um unknown trends i think that's that's the difficulty is you know having that access to influence decision making to make it more data driven in a meaningful way and not just uh, what feels right yeah, it's a question of do people don't have the access to it or, or people, and no offense to when lazy or are comfortable in, in their place. I'm not pointing fingers. I, you know, I did marketing myself uh, and it's hard to move without the data and you need to make yeah. certain assumption. Uh, the, the thing is, if you decide that you are pro-data, that you make a decision based on data, if you, if you can't count it, Per se, you, it doesn't count, and you focus only on the campaigns that are generating money for you, uh, performance marketing in a way, then you, it will change your business for the better, for the much better. 
you know, we know we both know what what's bra- what branding means mm-hmm. but at, at the end of the day if even if you do branding it doesn't generate money at the end of the day the year the, the month then why did we spend the money on that rather than some other channel so we feel and the the brand that we speak with uh, are starting to realize that when you spend a dollar or a pound you need to know where it went mm-hmm. and how how it performed and it's very important for the big ones that are spending million dollar a, a month or a year and it's crucial for the smaller ones that only have you know one thousand pounds is a the monthly budget if half of it is lost or you know what it's not lost it generates some money but you don't know so you cannot replicate it what's the future for this business and we spoke with so many of them mm-hmm. you know, and we told them it doesn't work this way you're guessing and then you're guessing again and you're correcting by guessing one more time well and some of the difficulties not just in you know avoiding a loss which you know even quite unsophisticated companies eventually that will filter through they'll, they'll see that their the money is not going up it's going down but it's it's where there are dilemmas especially for smaller companies like that you mentioned where they might make some roi but they're they're missing out on what the the true potential is and if they don't have data, they're a bit paralyzed because making a switch can be costly. But if you don't make a switch, you're leaving money on the table. That's a, a, a real challenge. So when it comes to these kind of dilemmas, these interactions between, um, you know, brands and tech suppliers, like what, what do you like most about this this um, space that you occupy? What, what do you most enjoy about this? I think marketing has changed, right? Uh, data is more available but also new uh, marketing channels, new content, new everything. So what I like the most is, uh, is mixing technology w- with new channels. Right? This, this in a way, because you know, there's still, when I speak to a, a new business, what I usually tell them, you need to understand that you have two struggles. You know, there's two fights you need to win. One against the machine, the mm-hmm. algorithm of Facebook or Google, the one that decides to show your ad to your potential client. Yeah, and then, exactly. And then you need, once your potential client has seen your, your ad, then they, it needs to make sense for them. Either to buy or better yet, to buy and, and share. So I really like the, the new the TikTok influencer marketing and, uh, and, and Instagram and SEO, the ones that are catchy. But you still need to remember that you have the gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's funny that a brand can have a wonderful post, but if they haven't kept you know, the, the Facebook code uh, that you must do three posts a week, no one would see their magnificent post. Yeah, or if they do it's, um, you're, you're, you're playing on other people's property, ultimately, which is a big um, challenge for many people in, in these kind of e-commerce niches. Um, they make the rules, so you could need to understand them before be able to really succeed. I mean, especially Google, you know, they used to have the, the kind of phrase, um, do no evil, whereas I think these days everyone would, would see that Google just is so massively keen on hoovering up money that, you know, it cannot possibly be always in the interest of the end user. So this is kind of where there is that kind of balance and bringing a bit of nuance to these decisions. Um, to, to Again, to, to vet platforms, but also technology and all of this kind of stuff. That's fair to say. Yes, for sure. You know, with 
as you just mentioned, with Google's new tool, the PMAX, the Performance Max, yep. which basically is, is a black box for everyone. No, basically what, what it says, what it says does is you put in your assets into the Google Ads platform, and then they choose where to use it, either on YouTube, on, um, on Google Ads, and all the other display channels that they own and apps, uh, optimizing toward performance, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. then you remember that all your comp- competition are doing the same, exactly the same. And there's one uh, Google, one entity that manages the show with their own uh, KPI, the key performance indicator, to maximize uh, revenue. Basically, mm-hmm. to make you spend the highest amount of money, keeping you happy to spend more, but in a way, keep spending more and more and more. So no one, if everyone is happy then no one is happy. Yeah, uh, so this is tricky. Agree. It's one of these things also where the guiding hand of a human being can have a big impact, especially in very niche uh, types of e-commerce, you know, specialist purchases, um, something where enthusiasm is really key or where deep technical insight is really key um, because that kind of automated approach to finding traffic, finding um, you know, the right place to advertise in order to get a certain throughput that's not always the, the end goal, not always clicks. It's um, engagement and more meaningful interactions that, you know, obviously need to make money as well in the long term. Yeah. Now, there are two great examples of but what you said about the, how we combine you know, the human thought and creativity with uh, the machine. And I think one of the, the one, the, uh, one example that I'm, I'm in love with is what the CEO of CD Baby has done. Uh, basically, I don't remember what they do now. Well, it's obviously, they say, say uh, babies for CDs. But he wanted to get more more sales. And he knew that he has one channel, which is emails. Right? emails. We need to remember there are 40 types of emails. So we know like, no one now should buy uh, an email database. But if you have it, you can use it. And it was back then, but even now, when you have so little amount of data, email is still uh, a very good channel. So what he did, he decided to optimize the confirmation email. You usually get uh, a sale uh, and you get an email, thank you for buying. Um, And what he did is he rewrote it. If you don't mind, uh, I'll be happy to read it out very quickly. Absolutely. Um, So it went this way. Uh, thank you for your order with CD Baby. Your CD has been gently taken from our CD Baby shelves with sterilized contamination-free gloves and placed onto a satin pillow. A team of 50 employees inspected your CD and polished it to make sure it was in the best possible condition before mailing. Our packaging specialist from Japan lit a candle and hush fell over the crowd as he put your CD into the finest gold-lined box that money can buy. We all had a wonderful celebration afterwards and the whole party marched down the streets to the post office where the entire town of Portland waved bon voyage to your package on its way to you in our private CD Baby jet on this Friday, June 6th. I hope you had a wonderful time shopping at CD Baby. We sure did. Your picture is on our wall as a customer of the year. We're all exhausted, but can't wait for you to come back to CD Baby. Thank you again. This, which you figured out that he has a database. No, there's no gatekeepers. There's nothing. He has information. They just made a, a sale. 
he was, this creativity cost him 20 minutes, mm -hmm. generated a few thousands of sales. You know, you, you can do it. Um, we have, we're working with one technology that what they do, it's an automated marketing system. Sure. What they do, basically, they combine the fact that they know how to write some good creative and the fact that this machine can do the research. So for example, we, one of their clients uh, manufactures beer and then the machine saw that it was uh, the World Philosophy Day and decided let's link it. How they did it, said, you know, what could be the generate the post? What can be a better way for you to enjoy philosophy than with a cold glass of beer in your hand? Now, you need to mix them. You need to have creativity and you have, need to have people or, or a machine that know how to manage the algorithms. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. So it's about yeah, understanding that how technically things work, how algorithms work, but also having the inspiration to do something that feels personal, that feels um, you know, genuinely engaging. So I, mean, I think a similar example from the 90s was that, you know, the Got Milk campaign in the US, where people found Wonderful. out that, you know, the milk board of the United States or whatever they were called, they want to drive up sales of milk. But, you know, there's only so much people want to drink in and of itself. So they tied it in with different things like, you know, the habit of eating cookies or, um, you know, before bed, you know, to different times when you really want to have a glass of milk. So they tied that in with more emotion, with more social aspects of it, social in the traditional sense. So that's kind of where, you know, a lot of, quote, boring or everyday products can have a step change if, if their brand has personality, but also if they're able to market themselves in a way that connects with what people want to do at the right time. And that also eventually ties back into technology, right? It's about the, that funnel, that customer journey. That's fair. For sure. Yeah, you can't, today you cannot have one without the other. I mean, when you think of like some of these larger e-commerce brands that have so many products, so many SKUs, um, one of the challenges they might have is prioritization, you know, because they've got so many product lines or they've got so many types of consumer. Um, what do you think they should do to, you know, prioritize in digital strategy? So... I think the challenges that they face are similar to the challenges that the smaller brand face. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they have different ways to tackle it. I think the challenges, as I mentioned, is much less data. I think, as you mentioned, higher competition, higher cost, and uh, much less trust. You know, it's now it's evident that when I go online, um, I'm buying the best marketed product, not yep. definitely the best product. And I think the big brands need to understand that. And I, some of them do understand that. It's no longer, you know, just run freely on social media and do just some paid ad complement our SEO organic traffic. Uh, you need to prioritize. You need to prioritize a channel. You need to pick. You need to do the baseline, obviously. But then you need to pick the channels that fight these new bad trends. Um, I mentioned that a bit before influencer marketing what i love about that is the fact that it's much more genuine okay, if i see an ad someone saying this is the best jewelry it's beautiful or the best running uh running top for women mm -hmm. i don't trust it if someone that i know is an influencer with a hundred and fifty thousand followers shows me the top and says it then i trust 
you know, there's and now it's even even better with live shopping. We're yes. working with a, an, a very interesting technology. They've built a platform where the influencer can tap into the platform, invite their followers, set a date, say 4 p.m. And the influencer will, will go live into the, the store, the online store, and would do the shopping. For example, if she, she would choose the um, mascara and makeup and would, would show how she uses it and show and match it to a lipstick and, and stuff like that. It's live, so the followers can ask questions, uh, can add to cart while they're in the platform. They get coupon codes. And then there is trust at that point because you're talking to someone who can ask questions. There is all the data you need. We've seen that generating $100,000 in, in one session with a 1,000 with followers. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting because it's it draws upon like especially with like TikTok shop for example where people are streaming and making sales at the same time. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, an older cynic might say, "Well, we had we've had TV shopping for ages," but the difference here is is that, is that immediacy and also that ability to actually interact. And I found it myself weirdly because I feel like I should be, um, you know, um, at a bit more of a distance with this stuff given that this is kind of what we do. But, you know, I think if you do watch a stream, you do gradually get drawn in. Um, it's different to, like, an audio or video advertisement. You actually do see more of the actual interaction and get more of a, a sense of the personality involved. Now, everyone knows that, you know, influencer marketing is a bit of a treadmill. You know, the people that go too far with it and take on so many endorsements, eventually that trust goes. So then the treadmill comes around and it's younger or more niche people who then might get many more endorsements and then they kind of, you know, lose that kind of authenticity aspect to it. But it's still very tangible and it's it's interesting to see so many brands doing it. I've I've seen like, you know, fruit drink brands doing it. I've seen watch high end jewellery. So it's like I've seen toilet roll uh, companies doing it as well. <laughs> I believe the deal is sixty rolls for twenty euro. So, you know, that's unbeatable, I believe. So you know it's everyone's getting in on it, but I think it, I don't think there's a niche that's necessarily immune to that type of approach. Everyone needs trust. Everyone needs authenticity. Yes, um, exactly. And we need to keep in mind the rule of seven. You know, it's the mm -hmm. rule that says a person would need to interact with your brand seven times before he or she commits to buying. Now, I think it was coined in the 1930 about cinema, about mm -hmm. movies, but it still applies. And we know that recent uh, researches show that 70% will do these seven interactions on more than one platform. So, for yeah. example, I will see you first on, on, on Instagram and then on TikTok and then on search and, until I commit to buy. So, first of all, it's clear that we need to do multi, multi channels. Again, okay. we need to do the influencer marketing, if you ask me, even the big brands, because we need to gain trust. So the rule of seven comes with, mm -hmm. with trust obviously. If it's viral, I'll see it more than once. I'll yep. see it many times. It's, it's cheaper. Uh, no one is immune to that. Everyone needs to, to do it because I'm not going to go seven times to Google search until I decide to buy. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's that push and pull um, factor as well. And, you know, I think, you know, brand uh, investment and like broadcast marketing, um, you know, it, it's, it's not a bad thing to get you know, the name out there. But I think a lot of people who only focus on um, 
traditional paid channels, they're, they're, they're finding that as soon as they switch that off, they're not having that engagement. So trust factors, um, doing some of the work, you know, in organic SEO, to be there, to be present when people have questions, not necessarily when they're looking to buy. That's another way to, to do the work and get closer to the customer based on your own effort, not relying on them to find their way to you. I agree completely. I, I agree on, on two levels. First of all, on the organic part, Mm-hmm. Then you know you need to plant the seeds that will become the trees. Uh, you don't want to switch off the campaign and and be invisible. And as we said, with the the gatekeepers, will, you will become invisible. Um, and the second is, and I think search marketing, whether mm-hmm. organic or paid, probably you need a combination, is now have now became becomes more and more critical. As we said, much less data, much less trust. If I'm searching for something, then you have all the data you need. Basically, I'm searching for a running uh, running shoe for, yeah. for men who run a half marathon, for example. You, you have all the, uh, all the information you need. And then there's a, another game of trust. Organic will probably get more trust than ads. But with ads, you can quick, uh, you, you'll be more quick to understand uh, know what searches are relevant, what we're looking for, what works. So it's a combination. The big brands must do must do both well as i mean the, the paid side is such a good source of data as well because you, you you know have a control group really quite quickly and you know a b test and see what people respond to but on the organic side you've got more scope to lean into what they're already searching for what what they already um value that kind of thing and prove the authority of what you've got to offer from i guess you know yeah from toilet roll to wedding rings to whatever it happens to be um so that said, there's, there's lots of different trends in e-commerce. When it comes to, um, you know, future years, lots of uh, speculation about what might be biggest or what might be most impactful. But if you were um, to implement certain things tomorrow, what do you think are the, I don't know, less futuristic but, but important elements of a successful e-com strategy? Okay. Great question. So first of all, uh, for me, Shopping still means uh, in-store shopping. Mm-hmm. For example, if, if I say, Martin, I need to buy a new suit and tie, let's go shopping. What does it mean for you? It means hey, we're going to the mall. doesn't mean, ah, let's open up uh, another tablet and let's uh, shop together. So shopping for us still means in-store shopping, which online is trying to mimic. Right? Maybe in 15 years when the generation that is now, are now babies, they'll start shopping, mm-hmm. maybe it will, it will be different. But for me, this is this is one. Second, as we said, um, people have no patience now. Right? They want it immediate. They want the immediate gratification, which comes from in-store shopping also, mm-hmm. in a way, but because we're very, uh, very quick to be distracted. So there are a lot of trends that everyone are talking about, personalization, AR, VR, mobile. For, so for me, if I'm talking about what I would implement tomorrow, mm-hmm. the, are the ones that meet the the trend of in-store shopping, mimicking, and lack of patience. So personalization, it's a definite yes for me, as long as I can try to be as close as possible to shopping in store. So when I go to to, to a store to shop, for example, um, a black uh, slim fit T-shirt with a V-neck, I go to the, to the salesman and, and ask for it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I go online and someone knows and can start by presenting the men department, wonderful. 
we have we're working with a technology that does you know, uh, free language searches, mm-hmm. which by the way, know that it's not that that common that if I want to find a black uh, v-neck t-shirt, I can just search for it. This is crazy. Another thing that is crazy for me is sizing and measurement. Now, it's it's mind-blowing that I need to guess, even let's say in, in Zara, Nike, I need to guess my size. And you know what? They are, they're offering me, they're suggesting that I take a measurement tape and stuff that I don't want to do. It doesn't work. You know, I just figured out something. You know, maybe you guys know it, but I, I didn't. You know, let's say I'm, I'm a size 45 in the Nike shoes and 47 mm-hmm. in, in Adidas. Uh, and when I buy from something different, I don't know my size. So I just realized that the Japanese size is actually in mm-hmm. centimeters. Uh, and that's equivalent for so if I'm a, if my feet is thirty centimeters, this will be the same for for shoe brands. How is not how is this not everywhere? How don't I know? Yeah, this is, I mean it's one of these things where so many brands they have a uh, like an inside out perspective rather than outside in, so they assume people know what they know. They're not necessarily looking at how they can help the customer. But I think also something that's interesting is the best online experiences. Um, are quite similar compared to the best in-store experience. You know, sensible mm-hmm. advice, guidance that is useful to you. But then also some of the worst things about online are the same um, about the worst offline experience. So a sales assistant who gives you bad advice or who, sure. who interrupts you, um, who distracts you, that's, you know, something that is not fun in the offline environment, but it's also mm-hmm. not fun when you get pop-ups or interruptions or did you mean X, Y, and Z online? You know, this is um, some some quite commonalities there as well. Exactly. Imagine that you go to a store now, and you, when you go and pay with a credit card, said no, sorry, we can only take uh, cash, and it can only be euros, for example. No, I'm, I I can't buy. So what, how is it different than buying online? So I, I, mean, a, I, lot, I a lot of yeah, a lot of what we're talking about is um, what makes life easiest for the brand, not for the customer, and also you know. Um, what where they should focus is on that frictionless experience. You know, if you're having to have somebody think about the buying process rather than buying, that that kind of sets you back a few steps. Exactly. Um, another thing that I think will be critical is mobile shopping. Mm-hmm. So I know everyone knows it. I know more than about seventy percent of shopping is done on mobile, but still. Uh, and, and and I'm sure you feel it too. If if a customer or someone is a new brand is trying to show you no know, a new ad or a new store design, what they do, they come and present it on a desktop. Look mm-hmm. at what we've done. But the user will end up buying it on, on mobile. If you yeah, don't exactly do mobile right. first, if you're not doing mobile first, it's as if you would you know, design it for, for large screen TV, you know, in, in a cinema. It's not yeah, how people would buy. We, we we see this all the time, and it's one of these weird things where people know what they they do in their own personal lives. They know how they search, but somehow they end up developing websites with desktop in mind or measuring page speed with uh, the idea of desktop speed averages rather than mobile speed. Um, all that kind of stuff that um, should be you know first in line when planning a, a web project. Um, but I mean, speaking of that planning, you know. We probably should cover the, the topic of design and uh, user experience. Um, so, how, how, do, how do you view these kind of um, elements? Because one thing I think is always interesting is, you know, 
evolution versus revolution in UX because if you're too innovative, you're creating a design that is unfamiliar and causes friction. But if you just do what everybody else does, you're not creating an edge. So, you know, how how do you view this aspect of, of UX? And I guess, how to start with, how important do you see UX these days? Super critical. Oh. First, if, if we'll start with design, mm-hmm. uh, I like the saying that we do not... Uh, when we go online, we do not buy products, we buy images of products. And this is critical. Um, if I don't put the image uh, front and center and visible, it, it won't work. I, I won't sell. Uh, I, I can't sell. So there's a technology, uh, going back to some of the technologies, um, a technology, it's neuroscience-based technology that what it does, as I said, it takes your images, 4K images, and shrinks it in, in size to be very fast. So what you have is a website that's loading fast with wonderful images. Mm-hmm. And a client that implemented it, it saw 22% growth in conversions. Why? Because you know, user experience, fast loading site. If you go into a store and you have to wait eight seconds before someone would talk to you if you have a question, you would go, okay? you would leave, uh, and then you scroll down and, and another five seconds, it doesn't work this way. So user experience is critical, and we see the numbers, 22% higher sales. Yeah. Uh, in terms of you know, familiarity, what I can play with, so yes, yeah, there's a struggle between what our users used to and where they can make it viral. Because yeah. if everyone works in the same template, it's going to be easy. I know with a sell, with a buy button, add to cart, but what will happen? It's like paid advertising, one-on-one. I go in, I want it, I buy. This is not good use of, of money. For me, I think you know, the template should remain. The buy button must be at the right place. A pop-up needs to have the close button mm-hmm. if you want to use pop-up, which is annoying to me, but uh, has to be on the right, on the, uh, on the, right, uh, the top right corner, add to cart, stuff like that. If a person, if someone goes in and can't find something, they would lose patience. They would hate it. They would drop out, lower trust, uh, annoyance, and they would probably, you know, rant about it to their friends. However, if you know the add to cart has something a different text to it, different color, something unique, definitely yes. The confirmation email, yes, you get a confirmation email. Because this is standard, because you know to know where you're gonna ship. It's gonna ship. Ship. this within this template? If you can be original, this yeah. is viral. This is what makes sales. Well, it's also where you can bring brand into a transactional experience. You know, there's no rule that says you have to be boring on these things. Yes, you have to be clear and let people know that yes, their order is received. Yes, it'll be shipped. It's shipped. These will be the delivery dates. But around that, you can still use that as an opportunity to to get across who you are. And, you know, try and foster some kind of a connection to drive a repeat visit, you know. And, you know, something that, um, you know, is, is pretty well known, at least in the abstract, is it's easier to sell to an existing customer than it is to a new customer. So if you think about the, you know, the, the amounts of money people pay to acquire customers in the first place to keep an existing one engaged and not let them drop off immediately after they've made their first purchase is a big opportunity, if you, if you can do it in a non-obnoxious way. 
for sure. So we're combining two things. We're combining what we said about zero mistakes. You know, the buy button must be at the right place. Zero mistakes. However, we're combining, we're adding a shopping experience. It's not called a shopping math or a shopping, you know, yeah. to-do list. Shopping experience. If it's not an experience, if you're not enjoying it, then then you're losing something. For so an espresso and, you know, um, all the big ones have made it into you know, into an art. And this is what sells, is what cre- creates the brand. And yes, for sure, if you're already engaging with a client, you need to give them the, the experience, the fun experience. And the longer it will be, the more intriguing. If they stay interacting with you after the first sale, instead of going on to Instagram and uh, YouTube, TikTok, then you gain more trust, you get more visibility. They might end up buying more. They would definitely end up recommending you further. They'll remember you and they'll come back. Well, that, that remembering part is a critical one. Again, given the dependency in many cases on like performance marketing and paid media. And also you said earlier about you know the potential for there to be like an undifferentiated site with this, everything in the same place as before, undifferentiated imagery and so on. People might literally go click an ad but make a purchase and then never even remember really what the brand is, you know? That is possible, especially if you've got like a very specific purchase, you know, you used the example of a black V-neck T-shirt. If that's just what you need because you're going on vacation or you need to buy some, uh, I don't know, some, some jeans or you need to buy something for a formal occasion, sometimes you're more about problem solving and get the purchase done rather than having that brand um, front in mind. But, you know there's still scope and even in those purchases to bring people back when they have a more, um, when they have the, the mindset to do it. If you can create something memorable about that interaction in a positive way. Yeah, for sure. So always. And many people who are parents would, would relate. I have uh, no, four, four year old twins yeah. and you know, they played around with my phone a bit. They watched some YouTube on the phone and realized how it works. And then I did, I put YouTube on TV and I saw them trying to press on the uh, TV, tap the skip ad yeah. uh, on TV. Now, we're creatures of habits. You, know, you well, need to keep yeah. that. But after that, you know, different sounds for, for, for checkout, different images, a video after a smiley face, emoji, social. So there's so many places you can play around with. And we are creatures of habits, but there are places where we've done one task and we're waiting for, to do the next one. This is a so this is the exact point where you need to engage uh, with with your shopper and do it creatively. Yeah, and think about yourself what you'd like to do. By the way, it's not just yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, a, that's a really good sense check as well because you know, I think sometimes if you treat the, the customer, this abstract customer, as like somebody, some unreal person in the distance, try you know view it through your own kind of eyes first and see what would I like, what would I personally find annoying, what would I personally find easier. Um, and I think you know creativity is a good thing to kind of hang your hat on as well because creativity doesn't necessarily mean enormous budgets. You know, you can be creative on a budget. So you know, when we talk about um, the potential direction of e-commerce in the future, do you have any predictions for, I guess, smaller brands on a budget, mid-sized brands, larger brands? Um, what do you think there should be in terms of uh, the balance between there? paid and organic activity so for me the larger bands are now uh, harnessing their organic activity 
to offset mistakes they're making on unpaid paid advertising yeah uh, because uh, my feeling and from my experience with with them they're not on top of the of of the budget of the conversion of the data no uh, we've we've seen it more than once you know, the the amount of money that's being lost there which is at the end of the day it's offset because they're great and organic and people who are coming back to buy directly go directly to to the store you know for them it's where they came because of you know they've seen our ad and our paid ad no you lost them you lost that person someone else came so the big brands must uh, optimize their paid activity the small brands yes they need to work um, they they need to work on on paid media but they would struggle the prices are high it's very high for, and especially for them because you Uh, with the algorithm of Google and Facebook until you're spending a lot of money then you'll be shown off yeah uh, I mean click click costs are rising but their margins aren't necessarily rising you know exactly. that's the big challenge and and now we can tell everyone a secret you know that but not everyone might know that that the bigger brands pay less because of quality score and stuff like that that Google adds yep. into the calculation at the end of the day a big brand would pay less per click than what a small brand yep. w- will pay and So for them, I would say, listen, you need to focus on, on organic, on creativity, on growth. And if you can't do it, then you, unfortunately you might fail. But you cannot win in, the, in only paid media. No, it's one of these things where I think it's useful to test out some hypotheses to get some quick traffic to see how things perform. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, Google is prejudiced in favor of big brands. And that, that's partly, not just because you know, Google is evil, it's also because... As human beings we're often prejudiced in favor of big brands like especially if it's a purchase you don't necessarily want to take a lot of time over if I know that IKEA won't be the best or I know that Amazon might not be specialists in I don't know the table or the pen or the notepad that I want to buy but it's going to be good enough and I don't want to think about it so that's kind of that kind of thinking where you go to what will, will help solve the problem quickest and Even if it's not the objectively best uh, outlet or even the best price necessarily, we just need to know, yeah, it's good enough. If it's a bit more expensive, it's not going to be so expensive that I'll feel foolish. And that's kind of what Google does reward, you know, that, that kind of behavior in human beings. So that also feeds into organic. You know, if you, if you as a smaller brand can have the attributes of a bigger brand in trust, in impact, in memorability, That will also help you organically and then in future in, in paid in, to get the best click cost. Exactly. So for the, to the smart brand, I say that whatever profit you're making on organic traffic, reinvest it in paid because you need to grow your, your paid channel for sure. Yep. But you cannot uh, count on that solely. Uh, it, has to be, it has to be a mix. And, and yes, as you said, Google are not evil. They, they are another gatekeeper for us as shoppers. who want to buy if I get uh, the first result, Google says, listen, you can trust it. So mm-hmm. I need, really need to trust it. Uh, and it makes sense. Um, to the mid-sized one, I would say that because they're on the verge, they would live or die on, on the zero mistake and the accuracy. Yeah. Uh, you know, pricing, um, organizing the, the, right, the right product in the right places. Um, content, finding, working with the right algorithm, the creativity, the data, 
everything, shipment, if, if I'm not shipping fast enough, if I'm not allowing returns, this is what would take us the, the mid-sized one. Uh, yes, they need to do organic and they need to do paid, but while they're growing both of them, what will dictate if people would stay and will return? Because you would return to Nike or Gucci even if they made one mistake. Exactly, you won't return yeah. to a, to a mid-sized brand. I can't remember who, I should remember this, but somebody came up with the slogan, you know, second best, try hardest. Yeah. You know, it, it might, I feel like it might have been like a 60s um, car rental commercial. I think it might have been a Hertz, perhaps. You know, they were saying, you know, we're not number one in the US for car rentals, but we're number two. So we need to try really hard. So we're better than number one because our cars will be cleanest. You'll get a full tank of gas. You know, the delivery and receipt of the car will be superb because we have to try harder. And that was, I remember that being a very winning um, advertisement. I believe it was the 60s, and I believe it was Hertz. I'm sure a listener might tell me if I'm incorrect. But, yeah, that kind of thing does make sense even these days for mid-size e-com companies. If you want to kick up to be one of the bigger brands, you've got to really perform where it matters, you know, shipping, creating an edge over the smaller brands that, that could be more agile, perhaps. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is a place where you need to do the operation and the technology and the knowledge. You need to consult yeah. with uh, with expert. Um, you need to work on. For, I'll give you one example of technology that we we implement to a few uh, mid sized store. It's like technology is what it does. It tracks your products uh, online, your competitors, mm-hmm. uh, automatically. So it's very accurate and very fast. And whenever someone sh- uh, sells for cheaper, it updates your price. So think uh, to a point, obviously. Yeah. Uh, is this critical? Yes, if you remember Amazon's ranking, people that do sort by price, uh, Google Shopping that shows the, the cheaper ones. So for a yep. mid-sized brand, no, it generated 10 and 15% increase in sales. Um, yep. And and that's not that pricey. No, it's not no, uh, $1,000 no, a month. It's much less. It's, also, it's not sacrificing margin where you don't need to either. You know, that's <laughs> a, a thing. And I think you know all these things that we talked about today, um, it's where having expertise to guide teams towards the right product and also I suppose for the, the, the product brands themselves to find their way into you know meaningful relationships with good e-com brands that's a kind of a role that you guys perform um, I mean you mentioned knowledge as, as being important there so one topic you know we seem to always finish up on in these podcasts is you know the capability and knowledge of the team around a particular brand so what kind of advice would you give or what would you look for in terms of how to build a high-performing e-commerce team? So obviously you need to have the, all of the positions, you know, the, the marketing, the create. But I'm going to talk about the type of people that, that need to compose yep. this team. Three personalities, or three qualities. One needs to be an executor, someone that does operations. If you need to get cheaper shipping, they know how to get it. This is critical. The go-getter, right? I don't care if he does marketing or does operation. Obviously, it makes sense for him to do operation. But you know what? If he can do marketing, perfect. One for me will be the analytical. One that says, listen, if there's one dollar unaccounted for, I'm pissed. Sorry, pardon my, my language. <laughs> uh, uh, th- this is if because one dollar would turn into ten thousand. They need to uh, to a b test everything. They need to analyze everything. This is how you lose. No, uh, you, you lose nothing and you gain everything. And the last one needs to be the creative one, the one that allows you to grow, the one that does n- new things, cool things, optimize the confirmation email. So, by the way, 
if the creative guy is the operation does operations and shipping and they find a creative way to do shipping or like a fun packaging yeah wonderful perfect if the analytic one does the marketing or does operation and does know uh, an, a chart table comparing five different sh- shipment uh, shipping companies that will work but if you don't have all three then you would lose on on something and all the rest must be outsourced agencies, digital agency, consultant, outsource everything. I, I, I brought you know, an, a CRO conversion rate optimization person who has a lot of experience to review a website of a brand in one hour, which cost a few dozens or hundreds of dollars, it's fine, but in one, in one hour with their experience, they, they pointed out you know, 15 different mistakes. Mm-hmm. Sixth, improves conversion rate by 15%. If, if you make a lot of money, this makes so much sense to use good outsource to an yep. agent, to everyone. The rest keep inside, but whatever you can outsource, do it. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, that, that mix of skill sets, the data, ability to execute, uh, ability to be creative is really important. And, and as you said, it's not just about being creative with traditionally creative elements like your marketing or advertising. It's like be creative with packaging, be creative with how you solve problems. Likewise with data, don't just be data-driven about the pounds and pence or dollars and cents, but be data-driven about how you align your marketing focus, um, sort the funnel, analyze the customer journey. So all this stuff increasingly bleeds into each other. I think it's a really good way of looking at it. And obviously having the right tech stack is important as well. And you guys at Linmore Tech help people to navigate that and you know pick the right mix of solutions for um, you know their business, I guess. Um, so... We've covered so many topics. We've talked about personalization. We've talked about scaling, talked about technology, the, the mix of uh, traditional ways of looking at the funnel um, from an organic and a paid perspective, uh, in-store experience versus online experience, everything. So, Thank you very much. Yeah, I don't think I can summarize that efficiently, but thanks so much, Jonathan, for covering all this with me, with us. Um, and yeah, it's much appreciated. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It was a great pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Um, thank you very much.